thinking of a summer getaway? It's time to visit friends, family and the places you love with Stanoline. It's time to jump in the car and pack what you want without worrying about baggage charges. And it's time we welcome you on board where everything is just right. Or as we say in Sweden, la gom. Let us take care of the big little things that make every sailing spacious, stylish and safe. Get away to Britain or Europe from only €139 one way for a car and driver. Book today at stanaline.ie. Dear Good, it's Misha Ryan and Shaw. The story for this episode was recommended to us by listener Anne Long from Yall. Gurav Mahakut Anne. And it's Faltaka Dian Scale. Tarishtak. On June 28, 1914, in Sarajevo, the then capital of the Austro-Hungarian province of Bosnia, a 19-year-old man called Gavrilo Princip changed the world forever. Gavrilo was part of a group of young Bosnians who were attempting to remove the Austro-Hungarian rule from their homeland. On that day of days, they attempted to kill the Archduke Franz Ferdinand of Austria as he toured through their town. It was to be the ultimate display of aggression against their unwanted rulers. As Ferdinand toured through the city, a member of Gavrilo's group ran out from the crowd and threw a grenade at the Archduke's car. He underestimated his throwing arm and his grenade rolled over the Archduke's car and blew up the car behind him. The Archduke's car sped off for safety and the crowd separated, scattering in fear. The Archduke fled to the governor's house and waited for the streets to become safe before leaving. After some time passed, it was deemed safe for him to return home. As they drove back out through the city, the driver took a wrong turn down a one-way street. Upon realising his mistake, he stopped the car immediately and went to reverse. Meanwhile, in a coffee shop, Gavrilo was sat alone contemplating the failed plan. He was disappointed with their failed attempt, as he believed that if it had worked, it would have lit the fuse which would have led to Bosnian freedom. As he sat there, he took the first sip from his cup as he gazed out the window. As his eyeline met the rim of his cup as he lowered it, his eyes adjusted and on the road in front of him he saw the Archduke's car preparing to reverse up the street. As though a god or devil had taken hold of Gavrilo's body, he placed the cup calmly on the table, walked outside of the coffee shop and towards the car and without a change in his heart's rhythm, he pulled from his jacket a pistol and executed Ferdinand along with his wife. Gavrilo's only intention that day was to push forward the movement towards Bosnian freedom. Instead, Gavrilo had set in motion a chain reaction amongst states, which led to World War I, the loss of over 68 million lives and the destruction of humanity. He made men turn into devils, poured unwanted blood on the hands of the innocent and opened the gates for a biblical Armageddon. 
But what if a similar act could have stopped all the horrors of war? What if a single bullet from a trigger pulled with good intentions could have instead saved the lives of millions and not committed the innocent to a living hell? Could the act of spilling blood with good intentions save millions? It's the life of a woman from Dublin which answers these questions for us. This is her story. In Dublin, in 1876, a child was born. Her name was Violet Gibson. Violet was from an Anglo-Irish family. Her father was lawyer and politician Edward Gibson. Edward was part of a political group very loyal to the English Crown, its religion and the pursuit of having its religion be the ruling authority in Ireland. Soon after Violet's birth, he was appointed the first Baron of Ashburn. Violet's mother Frances was a Christian scientist. Their home had religion built into its foundations and these were not to be tampered with. It was the lack of being allowed to question religion that led Violet to question it at every turn as she progressed through adolescence. She began to read about different religions around the world and tried to understand their beliefs and values. She experimented with a few at different times in order to see which suited her best. As she grew up, she wasn't quite sure which subscription of the same basic set of beliefs she should acquire. This of course made her parents furious with her, as a child should follow the beliefs of their parents, particularly in a time when choosing the right religion would place you on the upper class automatically. Being part of the very upper classes, Violet's parents were very well connected. So much so that whilst she was a teenager, through her father's contacts, Violet was presented as a debutant to Queen Victoria. The Queen, who banished the poor Irish to horrible deaths during the famine years, refusing to provide adequate aid. Whilst her parents were proud to parade their daughter in front of the young eligible bachelors of Britain, it was not a proud day for Violet. She despised the idea of privilege. In her younger years, it's worth noting that Violet suffered from poor health. At different points, she suffered from scarlet fever and pleurisy. It was during these illnesses she spent some time reading about religion. She was also known to suffer from hysteria and had a ferociously violent temper. This temper she seemed to have inherited from her father. At the age of 26, Violet decided her soul should belong to the Catholic version of God, Allah, Yahweh, Science, or whichever name you choose to give to the creator of all things. As a result of this decision, her father chose never to speak to her again. 
over the next few years, Violet fell in love and married an artist. By 1913, she was a widow. She moved to Paris to work for a pacifist organisation. This should have been the restart to life that we are all entitled to, but unfortunately for Violet, within weeks of arriving in Paris, she suffered from Paget's disease and required mastectomy. Violet struggled on with life, feeling the weight of gloom on her shoulders on a daily basis as a result of her recent torments. Seeking peace from the life that was hers, she returned to seeking a better understanding of religion. She went on a series of retreats with the Jesuit scholar John O'Fallon Pope. It was through these retreats she began to learn about the martyrs of God and how martyrdom can lead to spiritual and political revolution. It was through the martyrs that Violet also took an interest in politics and the very real effect it can have on the lives of the ordinary. Through her father's work, she had assumed it was just something men did for work and had not realised the effects the decisions he was making were having on the poor in rural Ireland. She began to fully understand how the politicians were standing on the hopes and dreams of the ordinary people and their role was to lock doors rather than open them. This new knowledge of the world and the grief she carried from her own life wore Violet down and in 1922 she had a nervous breakdown and her family had her sent to a mental asylum. Here she became friendly with a nurse called Mary McGrath. Two years into Violet's stay at the asylum, Mary was offered a job at a convent in Rome. She asked if she could bring Violet with her. Because of her strong belief in God, she felt that it would be good for her recovery. The move, however, did not prove fruitful for Violet's recovery. A year into her stay at the convent, Violet decided she had had enough of the world and managed to get her hands on a gun. Late one night, the residents of the convent were suddenly awoken by the loud bang of a gun coming from down the corridor. Mary and the other nurses ran to where the bang came from. It was Violet's room. She had shot herself in the chest. Miraculously, this was not yet the end of Violet. With care and prayer, she recovered from her self-inflicted wound. She began to take this as a sign that her God had bigger plans for her and she was not finished on earth just yet. About 12 months later, grief visited Violet once again as her mother died. Whilst Violet was suffering from the cruelty of existence, others were suffering too. 
As she followed the political world, she began to see a name appear more and more as a new wave of politics swept across Europe after World War I. Scalefadiger A man named Benito Mussolini was rising to power in Italy during Violet's time in Rome. He had two major political beliefs, fascism and socialism. He was also the founder of the Italian National Fascist Party. In 1922, they took power over the Kingdom of Italy when they marched on Rome and claimed it for themselves. It was a very successful fascist movement. Mussolini himself was not only important in Italy's history, he was also the man who advised Hitler on how to use fascism to gain power in Germany. In 1936, both Mussolini and Hitler worked together in Spain in order to ensure fascism would begin to become an anchor in Europe's identity. Mussolini described their relationship as the Axis force which Europe would revolve around, and they had a common destiny. In 1939, the two agreed to wage war on Europe. They formed a plan and proceeded to bring hell back to earth once again, initiating a war which would eventually cause the deaths of 75 million people. Mussolini's story is a much longer, complicated and horrid tale. But let's reverse the clock in this story. Violet watched on as Mussolini was gaining more and more power. In 1926, a month after the death of her mother, all the puzzle pieces clicked and Violet understood why her god had saved her life after her suicide attempt 12 months earlier. On April 7, 1926, Mussolini walked through a crowd in Rome, the Rome he had taken. He was leaving an assembly of the International Congress of Surgeons where he gave a speech about the wonders of modern medicine. As he moved through the crowd, so too did Violet. She slowly moved towards his path with a gun under her black veil. A god or devil took hold of Violet's body and she walked calmly towards him and without a change in her heart's rhythm, she pulled from her veil a pistol and shot at Mussolini. As she pulled the trigger, he had slightly moved his head, and instead of it piercing through his skull, it hit the side of his nose and continued on towards the sky. Violet calmly pulled the trigger again, but the gun misfired. By the time the gun had misfired, she was already being consumed by the crowd. The now angry mob grabbed her and began to tear at her. In stepped the police and Violet was taken away. When questioned by police, she stated she had shot him to glorify God, who had sent an angel to steady her heart and her hand as she shot, but some other force had interfered with his head's position. In an effort to avoid international embarrassment as a result of one of their political leader's children committing such an act, 
the British government requested that they punish Violet for her actions. Her family wrote letters to the Italian government sharing their shame for what Violet did. Just 13 years later, Mussolini would be leading a war against them. Violet was deported to England and kept in St Andrew's Hospital for the rest of her life. Mussolini was killed in 1945, executed by an Italian partisan, and his corpse was publicly hung upside down in Milan. Violet died alone in a mental asylum in 1956. There was not a single mourner at her funeral. Today's music was written, performed and produced by myself, Ryan O'Halloran. Violet's story was researched and scripted by Oren. If you want to help to support this podcast, you can buy us a coffee at www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash we the Irish or leave us a review on your podcast app. Ryan is Anam Dum. Gurv Mahakut, Slonanish.